Our gospel reading for this morning is going to come to us from Matthew chapter 18, verses 2 through 6, and again in chapter 21, verses 15 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among the adults. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. When the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things Jesus did and the children were shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked Jesus. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If there is anyone that I know who hardly needs to hear the warning that Jesus gives in this passage more than once, the warning about causing little children to stumble, it's parents. You who are parents this morning, you are intimately acquainted with the fear of causing your children to stumble. In the years I've spent as a teacher of children and youth, in the countless hours I've spent with their parents, in journeying alongside my sister and brother as they raise up six little ones, the sentiment I get from almost all of them goes something like, my gosh, I just don't want to screw them up, right? You don't always admit it out loud to each other, parents, maybe grandparents, but many of you know the experience of lying in your bed awake at night wishing you could take back that thing you said to your kid, or wondering if you gave them the right answer to that ridiculously adult question they asked you in the car earlier that you have no idea where it came from. You raise your kids in the church because you want them to be people of faith, or you at least want to resource them to make moral and ethical decisions for themselves. You try your hardest to shield your kids from all the things that hurt you growing up. You maybe vow never to be the kind of parent to them that your parent was to you, or you promise never to force them to endure the things you had to endure. We feel a deep sense of responsibility for our children, don't we? We want to raise them up right. We lose sleep over it. In many ways, it's because you are their most important and their first teachers. For those of us in this space this morning who don't or won't have children, we can still resonate with a lot of this. When we encounter a child, we don't often know what to do with them, do we? Here in this community, we have a group of children we have seen this morning who are being raised up right in our very midst, and in many ways, each one of us are their teachers, and so we too should feel the weight 
of that responsibility. Parents and communities, they've long felt this responsibility to be a teacher. In fact, both of our scripture passages for this morning come from books that make a really big deal out of teaching children in the community. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites are called to raise up the children in their communities in faith, to teach them things like the Ten Commandments and the book of the law and what it means to be a part of a particular faith community. And in Matthew, Jesus pulls out a small child and makes them the focus of his mission and ministry. He warns the adults in the room to pay very careful attention to the ways that they welcome and care for the children in their midst because those children are to come to know and love Jesus too. But what does it mean to be a teacher? What does it mean? Some of us, we are in professions of teaching, right? Or we have been in professions of teaching, so we've asked ourselves that question. But the question I want to ask this morning is, what does it mean to be a teacher in a community of faith? Why do we form children in faith? And what does it look like here at the UMC Madison to live into the rich theological tradition that we're given in texts like these that tell us to pay very careful attention to the youngest in our community. Well, the book of Deuteronomy actually describes teaching as being quite the complex endeavor. We tend to notice the first part of Deuteronomy, the part where the writer is telling the Israelites that they're to teach the children about their faith heritage. They're to teach them about the tradition and the polity, the rules, and the rituals, and the regulations of their faith. They're called to teach the children the ins and outs of what it practically looks like to be an Israelite. In the same way that maybe you and I are called to teach the kids the ins and outs of what it looks like to be a Christian in this space. And this makes sense to a lot of us, especially those who are teachers. We know that teaching is contextual. It happens in community. It happens when kids are given the space to practice certain things and they practice it in communities with others. And that is where they learn who they are and whose they are. And we also know that kids need this. They need structure. They need a tradition. They need a way of thinking about the very complicated world around them that they're forced to navigate as their brains grow and develop. They need it. But sometimes I wonder if we can mistake our role as teachers as only being about instruction and how to teach them what to do and think. Sometimes I wonder if we as teachers think that we are the possessors of truth and knowledge and that our role is to dispense that truth and knowledge onto children and that those children are supposed to consume it and adopt it, no questions asked, right? It's easy to confuse being a teacher with having all the answers. One of you told me this week about a teacher you had who gave you a bad grade on a paper, an opinion paper, because they disagreed with your opinion. Now, most of us in this space would call that type of a teacher pretty ineffective, right? Well, the book of Deuteronomy does too. In fact, as we read the book of Deuteronomy, we see that the author is implicitly calling these teachers to whom he is writing to make space 
for children, for their voices, for their questions, for their doubts and wonderings. The writer says to these people in the future, when your son asks, what is the meaning of all this? The laws, the regulations, the stipulations that God has commanded us. When your kids ask, why does it matter? He's addressing this question. And the interesting thing to me is that he expects this question and he does not say, well, you gotta respond to them by telling them because I said so. Or he doesn't emphasize that the adults should dodge the questions or be concerned that they're being asked or respond anxiously by doubling down on all the rules and regulations and forcing the kids into knowing them. Instead, what he tells the adults is this. He says, when your children ask this question, I want you to share with them a story. The story of your faith. Your history with God. I want you to give them a testimony of the personal experience of salvation that you found when you were a slave in Egypt. When you were experiencing pain and devastation and hurt and loneliness and loss and about how, because of God's love, you were able to move through that, and you've been taken care of, and you've been restored to life. Now, none of us in this space are Israelites, but we certainly know what it's like to feel lost. And we certainly know what it's like to not have the answers to our questions. And we certainly know what it's like to wonder about our faith, and to not be too sure of everything. And so, what the author is doing, he's saying that's what it means to be a teacher to come alongside these children in their stories. And so at Madison UMC, I think we need to take our cues from Deuteronomy a little bit and say that the role of a teacher, it's not just about having all the answers, it's not about controlling what our kids grow to think and believe, but instead as teachers, we need to make space for them, for their wonderings and their questions. And we need to be honest about our own questions and share our own faith, our own experiences of God and the experiences that we've been given by others. The stories that we've heard in the Bible of people and their faith, the stories that we receive from other places so that these kids can come to see themselves as a part of a story that is way bigger than their own. And so that they might go on a search for experiencing God in their own lives alongside people who've already felt it who know what it's like. When I was a youth and children's director at a United Methodist Church years ago, we taught from this curriculum called Children and Worship. It was a Montessori-style curriculum that used these wooden manipulatives uh, to tell the stories of the Bible. And rather than giving the kids the answers to the stories or telling them what they should walk away thinking about the stories, we let them ask wondering questions about the stories. They wondered, they said, oh, I wonder why Jesus did this. Or I wonder how many sheep there were in the parable of the Good Shepherd. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. And most of the kids, they loved this approach. They loved the stories. They loved being able to ask their questions and get them taken seriously. But I had this one three-year-old girl named Lily who just never looked interested, ever. She was three. So she would have rather played with the frills on her dress or she'd whisper to the kids next to her. And I would catch her doing this really odd thing sometimes where she would take off her shoes and she would count her toes 
And every once in a while, she would miscount her toes and freak out because she thought she lost one somewhere. And I just wondered, what the heck is it going to take for this kid to, you know? And we told this wonderful parable once. I told this story um, about uh, the parable of, what was the parable? The parable of the pearl. And there were these wooden pieces that came in this beautiful gold box. And there was this like rich purple felt underlay that the teacher was invited to put down as they tell the story. And the pieces were beautifully painted and the script was lovely and the kids were engaged and asking all sorts of things. And there was Lily counting her toes. And I was like, what in the world is it gonna take for this kid? But about a week later, one of my interns came up to me and said, Pastor Kate, you're not going to believe what happened. And he proceeded to tell me that during one of the, mid, uh, the midweek evening activities of the church, Lily was there, and she pulled him into the children's space, and she took out this beautiful gold box. And she started to tell the parable word for word. The story, Unbeknownst to me, somehow got into Lily's three-year-old bones and it laid a claim on her heart in ways that I couldn't anticipate or control. And years from now, certainly when she will be questioning everything that her faith tradition taught her, that story will still be a part of the foundation she builds the rest of her life on. The experience in that classroom will still be a part of the foundation she builds the rest of her life on. My relationship to her will still be a part of how she builds the rest of her life and her faith going forward. See, so as teachers, we teach our children the particulars of faith, not because we expect every piece of it to stick. We teach them so that they might learn to see their lives and their stories as a part of the larger narrative of God's love for the world. But there's another thing that these texts this morning teach us about our role as the teacher. In our Matthew text, Jesus takes children extremely seriously, which I think we need to note because it was quite countercultural to the way children were treated at the time. They were treated in many ways as among the most invisible. And that's quite different in some ways from our culture today. Any of us who have children that were raised in or around Madison and some of these school districts, we know how much emphasis is put on the value of our children, right? But I also wonder if sometimes we experience some similarities to how the culture was in the time of, uh, at the time this text was being written, because sometimes I notice that when we talk about things like social issues like poverty, or an environmental degradation, or uh, the lack of education, or even the ways that we sense all the political gripe that's going on in our culture, we forget that our children are sometimes the most affected by those issues, and yet they're never talked about. And even in the church, I think sometimes their voices can go unnoticed. We want our children in the church to grow up to be like us, to think like us, to believe like us, to care about the same things as us, and we spend a lot of our time teaching in these areas. But Jesus, in the story, he puts a child in front of the adults and he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Later in chapter 21, the children are shouting excitedly at Jesus in the temple, and the people around them are becoming angry. They're becoming angry not just because the kids are causing a ruckus, but because of what they're saying 
about Jesus. Whatever it is they're saying, the adults disagree with. And the adults come to Jesus and they say, do you hear what the kids are saying? And Jesus says, uh, yeah, I do. Have you never heard from the lips of children and infants, you Lord have called forth your praise? In this passage, what Jesus is doing is really quite revolutionary. He's putting these children in front of the adults and he's claiming that more than anyone else in the room, the children are the mouthpiece of God. It is the children that give us the best and most natural idea of what the kingdom of God looks like. For Jesus, children are central and essential for teaching and understanding the gospel message. Jesus is reminding these leaders and teachers of the faith that if they want to be good teachers, it means they have to recognize that these children have something to teach them and that we are called to listen. And you know what they teach us may feel unfamiliar. They may do it in ways that occasionally make us feel comfortable. Some of us may be tweaked out that they wore their pajamas to church today or maybe, you know, they're just doing things a little differently than we normally would. And that's okay. It's okay. Because Jesus is calling the adults in the room in this passage to make space for it and to listen to it to respect it because there's something of God to learn there. In this passage, children are the revelation of God in the world. They receive the kingdom of God in a way that adults don't in this passage. Their lives speak to us of the mercy and compassion and goodness of God in ways we struggle to observe anywhere else in the world right now. And so at Madison UMC, we believe our children are a revelation of God. They are our teachers. They teach us something about the way of God in the world, that maybe the way of God has more to do with questions and doubt and wondering than it does certainty. That the way of God maybe has more to do with a childlike humility than being concerned about reputation or status or the proper way of doing things. At UMC Madison, we believe that we are all called to be teachers and lead in this community. Children, teens, college students, theological school students, staff, laity, everyone. We have gifts and graces to share with this community. There are ways that the Spirit of God is moving in the lives of our children, and we got to make space for that. We have to equip them to take their place among us in leadership, help them to grow into their own voices, give them opportunities for their voices to be heard. That means we got to make space, my friends. At our house talks, we've been talking about what, how important it is for us to be an inclusive church where all our voices are heard. So we have to look at our practices. Do our practices reflect that? Do we make space for our kids to lead and to serve in worship, in service, in mission? Do we designate space for them in our church? Do we incorporate their ideas into the life of our community? Do we help them identify their gifts and make space for them to use them here? so that they can come to see their lives as a part of a great story about God's love for the world and so they might see, know, and feel that their lives serve a greater purpose than their own. I really believe that these are the challenges that our text puts before us this morning in the faith tradition that we've inherited and we've got to take them seriously. And so this morning, I would invite us to go to prayer 
and to give God thanks for the ways that this community has created space for our young ones, for the ways each of us creates space in our lives for them to be heard, and to seek wisdom for how we can continue to do that as a community. Let's pray. God, you have given us your children as your gift and grace in this world. And you have given us the call and the privilege to raise up these kids, these gifts in our midst, so that they might find their lives connected to your life and spirit and purpose in the world. God, thank you for the ways you've already laid it on our hearts to make space for them. Thank you for the rich ministries that we have, for the ways that this church has invested and continues to invest in the lives of our children. And God, we, help, we ask that you would help us to continue to make space for them. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what they teach us about who you are. God, whether we're in the grocery store this week or whether we're at home helping kids with homework or whether we're sitting in the service today or in the fellowship hour, help us to encounter each of these little ones as a walking embodiment of your spirit and love in this world and open our eyes to the lessons you teach us through them. Help us to respect them and to take their presence seriously. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who teaches us to love and care for our children. Amen. I would invite you all to stand and as a hymn of response, sing uh, the hymn printed in your bulletin, The Lord Listen to Your Children Praying, which can be found in the Faith We Sing hymnal on page 2193. Please stand.